Our Old Testament lesson comes from Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26, hear now the word of our God. You shall not make idols for yourselves, or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary, I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last the time for sowing, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall by you before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, and your strength shall be spent in vain, for your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins, and I will let loose the wild beasts against you, which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number, so that your road shall be deserted. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in a single oven, and shall dole out your bread again by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins." You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters, and I will destroy your high places, and cut down your incense altars, and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols, and my soul will abhor you. And I will lay your cities waste, and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land, so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your city shall be a waste. 
Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and the treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land." But the land shall be abandoned by them, and enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity, because they spurned my rules, and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly, and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God." But I will, for, the sake, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you may have noticed that every other section in the book of Leviticus starts with a clear marker introducing a new section. Over and over again, 37 times, we have heard, And the Lord spoke to Moses. You may have noticed there was no, And the Lord spoke to Moses at the beginning of chapter 26. What does that mean? it means that we need to read chapters 25 and 26 together. I'm just going to trust that you remember the chap- that we read chapter 25 over the last two weeks. Uh, but the last two weeks we've been looking at the sabbatical principle and the jubilee year. All that we've seen about the Sabbath principle, the Sabbath year, the jubilee year, all of that is part of this section. We didn't just start a new section with a new topic and a new theme. This is still part of the discussion of the Jubilee year. The importance of the return to the land in the 50th year. That everybody gets restored to their family property in the 50th year. The importance of the redemption of the land and of the seed. That God's people must not be slaves. And all of this is prelude to the blessings and curses of chapter 26. So what does that do to what we've just heard? Well... 
I'll, I'll read the very end of chapter 25, starting in verse 53, when it says, He shall treat him as a servant hired year by year. He shall not rule ruthlessly over him in your sight. And if he is not redeemed by these means, by various other ways of him being bought back, then he and his children with him shall be released in the year of Jubilee, the 50th year. For it is to me that the people of Israel are servants. They are my servants, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or a pillar, etc. All the blessings and curses of chapter 26 are rooted in the social order that God had established in chapter 25. Now, this is what Paul is talking about when he says in Ephesians 1 that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, that, that phrase, to unite all things in Christ, is, it, it's, it's great that, that we use such a nice simple English word as to unite all things. Um, it's a fantastic Greek word, uh, anakephaliosasai. Well, yeah, uh, kephale just means head in Greek. So the, the verb kephaleo means to bring under headings. So if you're, if you're writing something and, you, and you, you're sort of summarizing it by putting it under headings. And so anakephaleosasthai means to summarize all over again. Or as one commentator puts it well, to gather into coherence under an ordering reality of the head, Christ. A gathering in fullness of land, families, produce, human freedom, and work, to use the categories of Leviticus 25. This is the fullness of God's creative intention returned to God's own redemptive sovereignty. In other words, the Jubilee year was designed as a picture of Jesus, What Jesus is doing is bringing the jubilee. Jesus is bringing the restoration of all things. All things being summed up again. All things being recapitulated. There's there's an English word for you. Capitulate. uh, It has the same root of meaning head. To recapitulate is to bring back together again. Actually, if you want, if, the best, that, recapitulate is the best word to translate anakephaliosasthai, because that's the English word that means the same thing. But that's, but that's, but that's the point, of, to bring everything back together in the head, in Christ. That's the point that the Jubilee was designed to show them this every 50 years, seven times seven plus one, the ultimate eighth year is the 50th year, the ultimate eighth day is the 50th day at Pentecost. And this jubilee pattern was designed to show that there must be a year beyond the seventh year, a day beyond the seventh day. It's the point that Hebrews will make when Hebrews says that there had to be a day beyond this. God made the world in seven days, six days, rest on the seventh day. But there must be another day, a day beyond the seventh. And that's the day that our, our Lord Jesus Christ brings in his resurrection from the dead and ascension to the right hand of the Father. Now, so that's you know, the big picture of what Leviticus 25 and 26 is doing is setting up I mean, <laughs> the whole New Testament. I mean, just to put it simply. <laughs> but, but then there's lots of little connections. Uh, Ephraim Radner does a great job of this in his commentary. And uh, he reflects on how Jesus' parable of the tenants is 
rooted in the juxtaposition of Leviticus 25 and 26. After all, Leviticus 25 is all about how tenants are temporary. You, you, this is your land, you can sell it, but it's, it's at the 50th year, it's going to return. And in the parable of the tenants, the master plants a vineyard and leases it to tenants. Uh, the vineyard is a common picture of Israel uh, in the prophets. When the season came for fruit, the, the master sent servants to get the fruit, and the tenants beat one, killed another, and stoned the third. Finally, the master sends his son, saying, Ah, they will respect my son. But the tenants decide to kill the son and seize the inheritance. Well, Jesus is talking about Leviticus 25 and 26. God had entered into a contract with his tenants, with his sojourners, Israel. Israel had been made sojourners. They were were declared to be God's tenants in the land. Would they live his way and give fruit his as as according to his commands well let's dig into our text and see how how god says that they should do and well how well they're going to do because verses 1 and 2 set up the beginning with the great commandment you shall love the lord your god with all your heart soul and strength that's the that's the the heart of what what God is saying here. There, there are three themes that he weaves together. First, idolatry. Do not make images to worship because I am the Lord your God. The Lord has one image. He made us in his image. And once every year, that image can be found in the Holy of Holies. There's, there's no graven image in the, in the Holy of Holies, but once a year, there is an image of God in the Holy of Holies. When the high priest enters the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. And as we saw, the Jubilee year begins on the Day of Atonement in the 50th year. So, that's the image is important. Second, Sabbath. You shall keep my Sabbaths. And, and as by now, in chapter 25, we saw a lot about Sabbath. Not just the seventh day, but also the seventh year, and then seven times seven plus one, 50th year, how we use our time is important, and especially today when our pace has become so frenetic. Keeping the Sabbath is not an onerous burden, but a gift, a chance for rest in the midst of a crazy world. And thirdly, reverence my sanctuary. Now, as we just heard, only the high priest gets to go in. So how do, how do Israelites reverence the sanctuary? Okay, think back, think back to the whole big first half of Leviticus. Because bringing clean animals for sacrifice is one way that you reverence the sanctuary. Maintaining ceremonial cleanness yourself when you come to the sanctuary. You are treating God's holy place as holy. You are not treating it as a common place. God is holy, and he wants to bring his people to himself, and so he calls them to be holy as he himself is holy. Don't treat God's name as a common thing. When we gather together as his people, then these things all go together. Image, Sabbath, sanctuary. God's image, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the one who has entered God's rest, who has entered the heavenly sanctuary. And so we who are in Christ are restored after God's image. 
as we now participate in that Sabbath rest, as He has entered His rest, He now calls us to enter that rest in Him. But Israel is given all of this as a picture. Israel is is given all of this to prefigure Christ, which is why the, the blessings and curses come in the form that they do in Leviticus 26. Because verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, if they live according to the Jubilee, if they observe his commandments, if they keep his Sabbaths, if they, if they reverence his sanctuary and do not make idols, then the Lord will give them three things. There are three I will give statements in verses 4, 6, and 11. It's just the awkwardness of the translation in verse 11. You, you don't see it, but it's the same verb, I will give. But that's going to be the, cool, the, the most important part. Because first, I will give you rain. I will give you increase. I will give fruitfulness to your land. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was tohu vabohu, empty and barren. There was no fruitfulness. But now, God will give them the rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase. There will be fruitfulness. Uh, The promised land will be nothing like Egypt. In Egypt, it never rains. Egypt never rains. Just They might get a quarter inch, half inch of rain annually in most of Egypt. They don't need rain. They've got the Nile River. There's a constant water source that handles everything they need. But in Canaan, the land needs rain in order to be fruitful. And... So God promises that if they obey him, if they, li- if they live the way he says, then he will give them the rain that they need. And the two crops that God highlights are simply grain and wine, grape and bread. The, the first sort of security that God provides is food security. Do not be anxious about what you will eat. God will provide. Trust him. Jesus will say this. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things the things that you need will be added to you. And then secondly, in verses 6 through 10, I will give you peace, shalom. It's more than just sort of freedom from conflict. It's the idea of shalom is is well-being in the land. You shall lie down and none shall make you afraid. I will remove the the wild animals, the harmful beasts. I will will give you peace from invading armies. And there will be the peace and well-being of fruitfulness in in the land. I will turn to you, verse 9, and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. This is, again, clearly, shalom is not just, oh, you won't have any enemies fighting you. It's also, you'll be fruitful and multiply. I, I sometimes like to say that you know, the uh, Braveheart movie about my great-great-granduncle Bill, um, they did a great job of communicating what freedom meant to William Wallace in the, in the 13th century. Because what is freedom? Land and seed. For medieval folks, as for ancient folks, living in the land with your kids, that's what freedom is. Now, they did lots of Hollywood stuff, but they at least got that part right. They understood that this is that freedom doesn't, it's not all the modern stuff. It's, it's land and seed. It's living in the land, being fruitful, multiplying, and uh, that's, that's at the heart of what fruitfulness is. And then thirdly, God says, I will give my tabernacle among you. I know ESV says, I will make my dwelling among you. But 
It's the same verb to give, and since there are three of these gifts, it's important to keep that idea. I will give my tabernacle among you. I will give my dwelling. I will dwell among you, but this is a gift from God. God gives himself. He gives his presence. He has set us free. And again, remember, we are still in the Jubilee passage. God has set his people free from slavery in Egypt, and yet he said continually, repeatedly throughout chapter 25, that the people of Israel, his people, are his, are his slaves. They're, they, again, ESV calls it, calls it servants, but it's the same word translated slaves in the rest of chapter 25. So we are, we are God's slaves, which means that we are free in him. And so what God has promised and what God has is, is that he will give fruitfulness, he will give rain and increase, he will give peace, shalom, well-being, because he will give his presence. He will dwell with his people. But, now, in, in Hebrew, the word but is just a little stick, a vav. Uh, but still, that... It, it, it can mean but, it can mean and, it can mean... I mean it's, it's, the, it's the standard conjunction that can mean practically anything, depending on context. But, but, this is where what God is saying is, is a, the, there's a contrast. But, if you will not listen to me, if you will not do what I tell you, if you spurn my statutes, if your soul abhors my rules, then I will do this to you. Notice who's acting. I... God says, we'll do this to you. It may not seem very comforting at first to think that God is the one who brings disaster. But if you think about it, it would be far, far worse if it was someone else and God was sort of like, yeah, I'm not sure what I can do about it. But notice what God will do. He turns all of the blessings upside down, turns them into curses. Where there was plenty, you shall sow your seed in vain. Where there was peace, you shall be struck down before your enemies. Where there was God's presence, I will set my face against you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever. Now, it's, it's worth noting that these sorts of things happen anytime and everywhere people turn against the Lord. I mean, there's all sorts of great questions about where COVID came from. It came from God. Whatever other source there may be, it came from God as a judgment against rebellious humanity. As long as this age continues in rebellion against God, more and more diseases will arise. It's been happening for thousands of years. It'll happen for a few thousand years more until our Lord returns, whichever comes first. And that's where this is what this is what happens when humanity lives in rebellion. Likewise, I will visit you with panic. Well, we, we're seeing a new wave of panic in in our world. Where does all the social anxiety and depression come from? It comes from God, bringing judgment upon humanity. Now, now let me be clear: the fact that someone dies of COVID or someone has anxiety does not mean that God is judging them for some special sin they committed. These judgments are what is called common wrath. They hit the community at random, at least it looks like random to us. It's the same principle as with common grace, where the rain falls on the just and the unjust. 
Even so, there is common wrath, where a disease wipes out the just and the unjust. But it's important to recognize that these sorts of judgments do come upon the whole community because of sin. Because sin and misery get linked together. And there's also a sort of poetic appropriateness in the judgment. Many have noted the connection between social media usage and the spike in anxiety and depression. Our 24-7 culture of non-stop information and virtual relationship have created a world of disconnection and isolation, so it's not surprising that the judgment, in a sense, fits the crime. And again, it's not that everybody who uses social media winds up having these problems. It's not that you even have to use social media in order to have these problems. It's because it's not a one-to-one connection. It's not sort of like, if you do this, then this happens. It's rather... This is, this is the common wrath judgment that falls upon a nation and a people that are living in rebellion against God. And when we refuse to take a Sabbath, God gives us a Sabbath upside the head. I put it that way because in the following verses, we hear of four different sevenfold judgments. Now, some commentators try to say, oh, sevenfold just means complete. Well, you know, sure, the number seven does have a sense of completeness to it. But it's not the case that the punishment is seven times greater than the sin. That's not the point at all. The point is, if you won't follow the sabbatical year, the seventh year, and the jubilee, then God will give you a sabbatical to remember. That's why this sevenfold pattern is used. And... If you are, as we go through this, you might be start to think, wait, where else do you hit the number seven with respect to judgment? The book of Revelation is going to be using seven trumpets, seven seals, seven bowls, each of the sevens being judgments. Why? Yes, you're right, Leviticus. Uh, so, We start in verses 18 to 20 with the sevenfold judgment of the heavens and the earth shut off. The heavens becoming like iron and the earth like bronze. Uh, Iron produces no water and bronze keeps no water. (laughs) So you're basically everything, there's just, there is, everything's dry, everything's hard, everything's barren. We're back to tohu vabohu, barren and empty. Your strength shall be spent in vain. I will break the pride of your power. Rather than the earth bringing forth grain and wine, your heavens will will be barren, your earth will be empty, the land will not produce. And then in verses 21 and 22, rather than having dominion over the creatures, the creatures will bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock. And God says, I will continue striking you. I will let loose the wild beasts. This is God's judgment that he brings upon those who rebel against him. If you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, if we will not listen, then God will do whatever it takes to get our attention. So how much, how much is it going to take for you to listen to what God says? Verse 23, if by this discipline you are not turned to me but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. God's punishment, God's judgment fits the crime. It's, it, God's being really clear here. He's saying, I'm not 
I'm not doing, I'm not, I'm not going sort of over and above. I'm not doing, I, it's, I'm just giving you exactly what you've asked for. You have walked contrary to me. Okay, I will walk contrary to you. And this third sabbatical judgment is the triad of sword, pestilence, and famine. And he says in verse 25, I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. Uh, He has made his covenant with his people, and now if Israel becomes covenant breakers and are refusing to obey, the sword will execute vengeance for the covenant. Remember, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Because he is the one who executes vengeance rightly. And remember what happened in Egypt when the angel of death came and struck down the firstborn of Egypt because Pharaoh had been attacking the children of Israel. He had been killing the Hebrew boys. And now God says, Ah, you're attacking my son? Your son will die. The same principle happened in in the land of Canaan when Israel became the angel of death to strike down the Canaanites. And God says, now if Israel will not obey, if the people of God will not walk in the ways of his covenant, then God will bring a new angel of death. And the book of Revelation will use this theme of sword, pestilence, and famine. Indeed, the prophets do this many times as well. But the four horsemen of the apocalypse are closely related to the the four sevens of Leviticus 26. And so... There's a lot of connections there. And the result is that you shall eat and not be satisfied. There won't be enough food. When you obey God and walk in his ways, there is food and peace because God is with us. But when you disobey God and walk contrary to his ways, then there is not food and there is not peace because God is not with us. And then it gets worse. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then, verse 28, I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. Cannibalism. I mean, it's probably, I mean, just, how could this happen? How do you get to the point where you would eat the flesh of your own children? Hunger does funny things to you. And you, you, you can see how the rationalization comes. Well, if I starve, my child will starve, and therefore we'll all die. But if I have something to eat, then I could have more children. All of you who are well-fed, that sounds like terrible logic. But when your brain is addled by hunger, you're not thinking straight anymore. Indeed, this is where things went. In Second Kings 6, we hear the story of the siege of Samaria where two women start eating their children. The, the, the first one says, hey, let's, you know, you, you, we'll eat, we'll eat your, your child first and then tomorrow we'll eat mine. And then tomorrow came and they couldn't find the second woman's child. The, the first one come, comes to the king and says, we ate my child and now she won't give me hers. And, and the kings are like, this is, and so he, he sends a messenger immediately to Elisha and says, this trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? Here's, here's the point. The truth is, I mean, God had said, I'm the one who will bring this. But Israel's problem was that they had refused to obey the Lord in the first place. And 
God says that he will bring judgment, that he will bring this on Israel for their sin. And God says he will lay their cities waste, make your sanctuaries desolate, not smell your pleasing aromas. I will, myself will devastate the land so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations. I will unsheath the sword after you and your land shall be a desolation and your city shall be a waste. Already at, in Leviticus, while Israel is still at Mount Sinai, the Lord says, exile is coming to those who refuse to hear my word. And the reason for these sevenfold judgments is made clear in verse 34. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths. If you do not give rest to those under your care, if you do not give rest to your land, then God will enforce rest upon you. Now, many of you have very little ability to influence your world. Oftentimes, all you can do is do what you can to practice rest yourself. But if you are in a position to give rest to others, then do what you can to give rest to those under your care. Do what you can to give rest to the land, to give rest to the, the whole community, as we, see, as we saw in chapter 25. But then, but then God speaks to the coming exile in verses 36 to 39, that when we turn against the Lord, we become fearful and disoriented. They shall fall when none pursues. Even when no one is chasing them, they will find themselves anxious and afraid. And the closing picture in verse 39 is striking. Those of you who are left shall rot away because of their iniquity. And also because of the iniquities of their fathers, they shall rot away like them. We follow the sins of our fathers, and so the judgments of our fathers become ours as well. But, ah, we had... We had, we, we had the first but got us in trouble because <laughs> there were blessings, but now we've heard the curses, but if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery and in walking contrary to me, if they humble themselves, if they make amends for their iniquity, repentance means more than just saying, oh, I'm sorry. If you say, please forgive me, but just keep doing it, well, then you weren't really all that sorry. You need to make amends. You need to make it right. But there's a problem. This is the book of Leviticus, after all. We've already seen what it takes for an unclean people to come into the presence of a holy God. The heart and soul of Leviticus is in chapter 16, where the high priest enters the Holy of Holies, entering the age to come, so what happens if Israel profanes the covenant, they become unclean and are cast out of God's land? How can you get back? What's the way back when you are exiled? And the Lord says, if they repent, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember the land. What's that going to look like? Well, if you've been reading the book of Leviticus, it'll look something like the Day of Atonement. Only better. God gave to Samuel a clue 
When the Ark of the Covenant was captured in the days of Eli the priest, the sons of Eli died in the battle. The Ark was captured by the Philistines, and Eli the high priest died when he heard the news. This was the first exile. Not the great exile with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, but the exile from Shiloh. And in that exile from Shiloh, God showed where the story is going because the ark was captured and taken to the Philistine temple of Dagon. And in the morning, that image in the, well, unholy place of the Philistine temple had fallen flat on its face before the ark of the covenant. Think about the picture. When Israel sinned, when Israel failed, and when the ark was taken captive, what is God showing? I myself will go before my people. I will be taken into captivity. I will be the one who is taken into the temple of my enemies. And I will do battle single-handed against the enemies of my people. And the ark of the covenant triumphed over the Philistines Do you see what Jesus is doing then in the parable of the tenants that we referred to earlier? Because the the parable of the tenants, the father, the, the, the master, sends his beloved son who is killed by the tenants saying, ah, we're going to take the inheritance. If you look over at Luke chapter 20, what does Jesus say? When they say, let us kill the, the, him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. What's Jesus doing there? Jesus is saying, I am the son. I will be killed by the wicked tenants. Then what? When Jesus is hung up upon the cross by the wicked tenants, What does he say? Father, strike them down! (laughs) No. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We are the wicked tenants who killed Jesus. Whether you're Jewish... And, you're, and you had the, pri- the priests and the, and, the, and the Pharisees, or whether you're a Gentile and you got the Romans acting on your behalf, we're all there, Jew and Gentile alike, putting Jesus on the cross. We are the rebellious Israel who deserves exile and destruction. But Jesus took that exile and destruction on himself. The curses of Leviticus 26 fell upon Jesus as as the sky became iron and the ground became bronze, as his world became empty and barren, as he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's no fruitfulness. There's no peace. There's no presence of God 
he takes the curses of the covenant upon himself so that he might triumph over the curses of the covenant, that he might bring us to God. When the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, the Lord Jesus went into the stronghold of death and triumphed over the grave because the Lord promises, yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will, for their sake, remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. God promises that he will not forget his covenant. He said he would be our God and we would be his people. And truly, as John said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, have mercy on us we pray because as we see the what your word commands. We, have, we acknowledge that we haven't loved you with a whole heart. We have, we have turned aside from your ways and we have sought first our, our own kingdoms and we have sought first our own pleasure, our own power, our own peace. Lord, have mercy. Forgive us and help us. Thank you for your beloved Son, our Lord Jesus. Thank you for the one who triumphed over sin, death, and the devil, that through his victory over the grave, we might no longer be be in the fear of, of, of death, that we might have the confidence of, of your, your life and your peace, your resurrection, that, that you brought Jesus back and you will, have, you will continue the work that you have begun in him until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ when you will bring us to yourself. Thank you for this and have mercy upon us, we pray, and strengthen us and bless us and help us. Help us in our in our daily walks and callings in the in the in the places where you've put us. Help us to to be your servants who love you and who love our neighbors and who humble ourselves, not seeking first our own agendas, but seeking first your kingdom and and humbling ourselves to to love those around us. Have mercy, Lord, and be, give us wisdom and grace in in our workplaces, in our schools, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and grant that we, might, that we might find our peace and our joy and our comfort in, in you. Grant that we might hold fast to your word, that your gospel might, might dwell in us, that your spirit might build us up in our faith, hope, and love. Help, Lord, those who are, who are weak and afflicted. Help those who are dealing with anxiety and depression, those who are struggling with disease, and those who are under the, the afflictions of, of, of mind and body. That your, that your spirit would refresh and comfort, that you would revive the souls of your people, that we might live faithfully before you. Lord, have mercy upon, upon us as we go to our rest this night 
that you would strengthen us and grant to us your peace. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.